to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Okay, uh, so the reading is from Mark 7, and we're going to be starting at verse 14, uh, going through to verse 23. Yes, going through to verse 23, and the crowd that Jesus is talking to is made up of disciples and Pharisees. So again, Jesus called a crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he'd left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. I'm going to bring the second reading to you tonight, which is Romans 8, 1 to 11. Therefore, there is now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Well, good evening again. <clears throat> Let's pray. We come to that wonderful passage in uh, God's Word in Romans 8. Gracious Heavenly Father, please, please help us to attend to your Word this evening because it speaks something truly wonderful. We pray that you would teach us what Jesus means and how great a thing it is you have done for us in him and by your Spirit. Amen. 
Uh, I wonder if... Uh, are there people here who've seen the film Pleasantville? Pleasantville, a few of you? Yeah, I'm going to talk about it, um, but don't worry if you haven't seen it. The, the film Pleasantville from 1998 uh, tells the story of David, who's played by Tobey Maguire, and Jennifer, who's played by Reese Witherspoon, uh, who, due to the freak uh, magical intervention of a cable guy, find themselves living in their favourite TV show, Pleasantville. Pleasantville is a 1950s American town in which everything is just dandy. Uh, nothing bad really ever happens. And everyone is nice. Um, but it's boring. It is black and white. And it's literally black and white. Very clever cinematographic kind of technique there. Uh, you know, but more than being boring, it's stifled. Uh, the pleasantness of Pleasantville is the product of everybody repressing their deepest longings and emotions. But when David and Jennifer arrive, things start to get unsettled. In particular, Jennifer introduces Pleasantville to sex. Uh, she has sex with a boy in a car and she teaches her mother to masturbate. That's an awkward scene. And suddenly, colour comes into the world. Art, laughter, beauty, love. Now, there is resistance, of course, from the establishment, who are the fathers, who band together uh, to try to put a stop to it. But it cannot work. Pleasantville is changed forever. There's no putting the genie back in the bottle once it's out. Now, this is a story that picks up, I think, one of the most powerful narratives of our times, that you can't repress what is in you. That you have to let it out. You have to express it. There's no point stifling it. Uh, those who try, like the establishment in Pleasantville, they just, they just end up being hypocrites. Life and freedom are found embracing your, in embracing your longings and your urges. That's the story. But there's a problem with that story. And the problem is, it's not the whole story. It's not the whole picture. It's not the whole picture because it doesn't account for all the longings and urges we have that are not good. And that, in fact, can destroy us. We see a hint of it, actually, in, in Pleasantville itself at, at the end. Um, right at the end, I'm going to spoil it, but, you know, bad luck. Uh, it came out in 1998. You know, you've had almost 20 years. There you go. Uh, at the end, the mayor's emotion causes him to burst into colour as well, uh, sealing the conclusion that there can be no going back. Uh, but what is worth noticing is that the emotion that causes him to come to life is anger. It points us to the fact that it is not simply the case that everything inside us is good. In fact, there lurk within us both good and true longings, and evil ones. The problem with the Pleasantville narrative is that it is naive. It doesn't appreciate that while repression is indeed stifling and bad and destructive, just embracing what is within us is actually no real solution. For what is within us is not all good. As Jesus said in the reading we first uh, heard from Mark 7, what comes out of a person 
defiles them. Did you hear him say that? For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils, says Jesus, come from inside and defile a person. Having followed the advice of Pleasantville to let out what is within our own day is progressively, I think, proving the wisdom of Jesus' words here. Increasingly, we are not being liberated by embracing our desires, we are being enslaved by them. Made captive to the worst parts of our nature. What promised us life is turning out to be death. So, okay, so were we better off with the 50s thing, with trying to squash everything, our desires, into nice, neat little boxes and just work really hard at that? No, I don't think we were better off. Pleasantville has a truth to tell as well. The truth that you, can't, you, you can only pretend for so long and that covering over our inner longings with a veneer of pleasantness or religious piety, it only breeds hypocrisy. It's the same truth, actually, that we saw dreadfully unpacked in Romans 7. I don't know if you were here with us last week, but this this was the point it made. That there is no salvation in rules, in trying to adhere to a set standard of right and wrong and keep everything contained. It doesn't work. Because the law, too, brings not life but death. It brings the knowledge of sin. So we have a problem as human beings. We cannot afford to just embrace what is within us. And yet we also cannot escape by just stifling it with rules and rituals and conformity. So actually, what do we do? Well, thank God, there is another possibility. There is what Paul calls in Romans chapter 8, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And this possibility means freedom and life and peace. This is the great announcement we've now got to in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. I hope you'll have a Bible before you as we go through it. Therefore, says Paul, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus... The law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and of death. In the, in the rest of the passage, we're just going to unpack that statement. We're going to see two things. First, why is this the case? Why is there no condemnation? Why is there this thing called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? And second, what does it mean? What does it actually mean for our lives? First then, Why is this the case? Why is there this other possibility, this way out of condemnation and into freedom? Well, the answer is there in verse 3. The answer is what God has done in Jesus Christ. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Now, we need to slow down here as this is one of the most wonderful statements in the whole Bible. The first phrase there, what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, sums up the ideas we talked about last week and reflected on above. Um, I will just say, though, sinful nature there, if you'll see in the Bibles, there's a little C to a footnote, I think it's a C, next to it, and there's a footnote at the bottom that says sinful nature could also be translated flesh, and then, and then it tells you all the verses, basically, in, the, in our whole passage. Uh, we're going to see lots of times, the NIV has translated the phrase flesh, flesh as sinful nature. Uh, and this is a bit unhelpful, and in the new version of the NIV, they've actually changed it back to flesh. So we'll just roll with that. And it's because it connects us to what we were looking at last week. The flesh is our worldly orientation. Um, we'll come back to this. Okay, that first phrase, the, what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh. The law, you see, God's instruction about what is right, good though it is, the law cannot save us because it cannot overcome the problem of our weakness, our flesh, our orientation towards this world and the merely human, our susceptibility to sin. The law is simply not a big enough solution to our problem. And so it only ends up highlighting how big our problem really is. But what the law could not do, God did. God did. God himself did what the law, what we could not do. What was that? He dealt with sin. He dealt with it. He actually dealt with the problem of sin by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful, sinful man, literally sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, or again, literally, he condemned sin in the flesh. God sent his son to be one of us and to deal with sin by making a sacrifice that actually dealt with sin. That actually dealt with the problem. God sent his son to deal with the real problem, the problem of our sin, in the place that it was actually lodged, in the flesh of human life, in the only way that it could be dealt with, by making an offering that would remove the grievance of our sin between us and God and turn aside his wrath. So that we could be finally released from sin's bondage by the, no, by the knowledge that we're forgiven. That's where Paul goes in verse 4. In order that the just requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus, you see, is the solution that actually deals with the problem we have. He is the medicine that is effective for this sickness. He is what we needed. Coming as one of us, he, the Son of God, laid down his life to deal with our sin. He took our sin upon himself. 
so that it might be dealt with, done away with once and for all by his death, and that we in turn could be justified, set right with God through the forgiveness of our sins and transferred from the reign of sin to the reign of righteousness. The law and our just trying to do what was right, that could not deal with sin. It could not condemn sin. And so we stood condemned. But God condemned sin in Jesus Christ so that we could be free. Now, if you come to church here normally, you will have heard this before. Right? This is not a new thing that we've just discovered. This, this is what we say all the time. But can I just ask you, have you grasped this point? This wonderful thought that God has actually dealt with our sin in Jesus. He has condemned it. Finished. In the flesh of Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect man, God has done what was required to free you. The debt has been paid in full. The power of sin has been broken. Because of him, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, for those who are connected to him by faith. What an extraordinary, wonderful truth. That's why there is a new possibility opened up. God has done what we couldn't do. But what does this mean for us? What does this actually mean in our lives? Well, Paul's last words in verse 4 about not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, they take us to this next big question, which is also the main focus of the rest of the passage. What does it mean that there is no condemnation? What does that look like? What does that being set free actually involve? The answer is that it engages us completely and totally. It transforms our lives. What God has done in Jesus sets us on a new path, an entirely new way of being in the world. The reason for this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom Paul calls just the Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the work of God in Christ to our lives. The Spirit makes Christ's salvation present and powerful in us. I'll say that again because that's just a key idea. The Spirit makes Christ's salvation present and powerful in us. That's what he does. And Paul explains what this involves by way of a contrast with life apart from the Spirit. Have a look there from verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature, again the flesh, have their minds set on what that nature, the flesh, desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man, or the mind of the flesh, is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind, or the mind of the flesh, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature, the flesh, cannot please God. This is a contrast between two ways of being in the world, two different orientations towards life. On the one hand, there is the way of the flesh, the way, sadly, we do know so well, of the mind continually dragged away from God and towards what is not good. 
set upon desires for merely worldly aspirations and enjoyments. This way of being is inevitably, and even despite its best efforts, hostile to God. God's law becomes a burden, an imposition, an impossible task that can only be resented. God cannot be pleased because he is no longer loved. But on the other hand, there is the way of the Spirit, in which the mind joyfully embraces God's will, and resentment and fear is replaced by joy and peace and life. Now, when Paul puts the alternative like this, uh, it might be a bit tempting to feel like the second category, life according to the Spirit, is rather a long way off. Um, What Paul says, however, is surprising. He says that, no, actually, that second option, life in the Spirit, that is, in fact, where all those who are in Christ, that is, all those whose faith is in Jesus, that's where they, in fact, are. Look with me at verse 9. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, again, the flesh, but by the Spirit. Um, This phrase is really important, and it has been a bit over-translated. Literally, it's just, you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. You are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. That is where you are now as a Christian. Not there, But there, there is an issue in our thinking to be clear on here, so I just want to kind of nut it out a bit, right? Paul is not saying that flesh and spirit are like two conflicting principles at war within us uh, so that we have a bit of both, as if we had like a a demon and an angel on our shoulders telling us, you know, what to do uh, and, and kind of fighting for our attention. Actually, that's not what Paul's saying. That's how we often think, but it's really not Paul's point. Paul's point is grasped much better if we think of flesh and spirit as as more like places. You're either in one or you're in the other. Uh, Or alternatively, like boats heading in two opposite directions. Uh, You can't be in both. Or as my favourite line from the other classic movie, Sweet Home Alabama, has it, you can't ride two horses with one ass. You're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. You can't be a bit in the flesh and a bit in the spirit. No, it's, it's one or the other. And if you're a Christian, it is the spirit. No buts. That's the point of what Paul goes on to say. You are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. We're in verse 9. And if anyone, I know I'm, I said no buts just after I said the thing about, and that's, that's, everybody's thinking about that, and it's a bit awkward. Let's just leave that behind. Okay, actually, that was really an accident. There you go. Moving on. Paul's point in the rest of verse 9 is, if you are a Christian, you're in the Spirit. It's not rocket science, he's saying. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And then he goes on, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. 
Now, what Paul says here has a great air, I think, of, snap out of it, guys. Snap out of it. The point is not to raise questions about whether or not you have the Spirit, but to show that if you're a Christian, you do have the Spirit. If you belong to Christ, you've got the Spirit. You can't belong to Him without the Spirit. Elsewhere, Paul says a similar thing in a different way. No one, he says, can say Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Spirit. The point is, if you can say that, you've got the Spirit. Having the Spirit is not some extra thing to becoming a Christian. No, that's true of everyone whose faith is in Jesus. You can't have faith in Jesus without the Spirit. And that means, says Paul, that you're not in the flesh. Because if you've got the Holy Spirit, then you're in the Spirit. You have the new life of Christ at work in you. That's just how it is. And it means life. This is the final thing in our passage Paul stresses. The Spirit means life. Both new life in the midst of the old and perfect life to come. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, Your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. I said before that what the Spirit does is to make Christ's salvation present and powerful in our lives. That's what we see here when Paul says, but if Christ is in you, that's what the Spirit does. He puts Christ in you. That is what it means to have the Spirit, to have the life of Christ in your life filling it and freeing it with new life in the midst of the old. Yes, we are still in bodies bound up with sin and death. That is why sin is and will be until death a struggle in the Christian life. But it's no longer the only thing about us. It's no longer a total defeat like chapter 7 is, the struggle there. It's not a losing struggle. On the contrary, Because in the midst of life, in the midst of death, sorry, in the midst of being bound up with death, the Spirit is life in us. We are alive because of righteousness, because God's work in Jesus has put us in the right with him, has justified us once and for all. And that truth means that we just don't live under a death sentence anymore. We are alive and therefore we will live Last verse, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. If the life of Jesus is in us by his spirit, you see, then one day what happened to him will happen to us also. One day we will be completely freed from sin and death. Jesus was raised from the dead, freed from death totally. His body was freed finally from decay, corruption and death. And if he is in us, if his spirit has put his life into us, then that is what lies before us too, to be set free finally and completely from the hold of sin and of death. What we've seen over the past two weeks, you see, in Romans 7 and 8, is that It really was the case that death had us. We weren't mixed so that we might be dead or we might be alive. No, death had us. Our life was the kind of sham and the illusion 
Death had us and was pulling us down to death evermore. But through Christ Jesus, everything has turned around. And now life has us. Because the Spirit has united us to Jesus' life. And life is winning us back from death more and more. And one day life will have us completely. And all of this, I think, is what Paul has in mind when he says, with such triumph at the beginning of our passage, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ, there really is a way out of our imprisonment to the dark parts of our nature, our captivity to sin and death. There is the law of the spirit of life, which through Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. Which leads me just in closing to ask two questions, very simple ones. First, are you in on this? Are you in on this? Are you in on this wonderful possibility that has opened up for us through God's work in Jesus? Have you put your trust in Jesus so that you belong to him? receive his spirit and are in him? And if not, wouldn't you like to? There are no entrance requirements. You do not have to have got to a certain moral and spiritual level to qualify. It, I'm shocked by how often I talk to people and they actually think this is the case. They think they're not ready to come to church yet because they're not good enough. They're not, they really are not quite, you know, they, God couldn't accept them yet. Maybe one day. The whole point is that it's not like that. The whole point, right? We couldn't do it. If God's people, the Jews, couldn't do it with the guidance of the law, no one can do it. None of us could do it. But God did it. God did what we could not do. And that means none of us have more of a right to it than anybody else. It is grace. It's a gift. It's yours if you will have it. God has dealt with your sins in Jesus Christ. He has done what was required. Don't you want in on that? Don't you want to be able to say, my sin has been condemned. There is no condemnation for me. If you do, then can I just say, don't leave here tonight without praying to God to put your faith in Jesus and getting in on, the, on, on not the law of sin and death, but the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. All right, we'll have a congregational meeting afterwards. Don't let that distract you. This is more important, believe it or not. Are you in on it? It's the first question. My second question, though, is this. Many of you, I know, are in on this. If you are in on it, though, have you really got hold of it? Have you got hold of it? Have you let what Jesus means sink into your thinking, into your heart, and into your life? As I said, I think there's a, a tone in verse 9, a kind of tone of, snap out of it, guys. 
And I wonder if that's what some of us need, to snap out of it, to wake up to what God's work in Jesus actually means for us. If you are a Christian, if your trust is in Jesus, then know this, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That is, God's work in Jesus really is at work in your heart and your life. That's who you are. That's what's happening. It's not just an abstract idea, this this Jesus thing. It's not just something purely alien from our actual lives and experience. No, it's who you are. It's your identity. That there is no condemnation for you that God has set you in the right, that is not just some ultimate out there truth, it is an intimate truth. It is a truth that is and ought to be transforming your heart and your mind and your life. Are you fighting against it? Are you, are you fighting against the work of your spirit? Are you kind of trying to pretend that that's not the case? Maybe by accident. Perhaps you feel like your faith is just kind of lukewarm and pretty shabby and pathetic and that you're really only muddling along. Maybe you can't see how Jesus is making a difference in your life. Perhaps you feel like you're a pretty pathetic Christian. Maybe you can't be bothered putting in much effort. But brothers and sisters, that is nonsense. It's nonsense. Because... That's not the truth about you. No, not really. Of course there are sins and struggles and doubts and failures in all of our lives. We're still in bodies of death. But sin and death are not the deepest truths about us anymore. No, the deepest truth about us now, the truth that is and can be the heart of your identity, is that you are united to Jesus. Jesus Christ is in you. By his spirit. And that means we are alive and all the time coming to life more and more. So, brothers and sisters, if your faith is in Jesus, can I ask you don't believe the lie that you are nothing but a hopeless sinner? That lie that stops us expecting faith to actually do anything in our lives. Now, of course, on our own, We may be nothing but hopeless sinners, but we are not on our own. We're not on our own. We're with Jesus. We are caught up in him by his spirit and his life is at work in us. And so that nothing but, that's a barefaced lie. Although we still sin in all sorts of ways, that is not who you are anymore. It's not. It's just the shadow That is fading as the dawn rises. Don't you think the Spirit of God makes a bit of a difference? Don't you think He is kind of a more important factor in your life than your shabby little sins? Christian, you are not your sin. You are not your sin. You are in the Spirit. You are in Christ and in him God has made a new space for you of peace and freedom and life. Friends, let's get on with living in it. 
And it begins, I think, as Paul pointed out in verse 5, with your mindset, with setting your mind on what the Spirit desires. Can I invite you, if you are in on this, then this week to get on with this, to set your mind on what the Spirit desires, because that is simply where you are now. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's not kind of pretend that nothing has happened. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.